0: Hi everyone, this is Marcia, and I'm the director and founder of the Brooklyn Caribbean Literary Festival. I'm thrilled and elated to announce the birth and launch of our brand new podcast, Cocoa Pod. Consider the aromatic cocoa pod and how, after carefully ripening under the Caribbean sun, it generously offers up its rich fruit in due season. Cocoa Pod by BCLF aims to provide a similar delight. Each episode is a seed, a nugget of an original Caribbean story told in the voice of its writer. Each story, an infinite gift by the offshoot of an ancient griot tradition. As a whole, Caribbean stories are like a mighty tree whose branches extend offering shade and comfort wherever her children settle. From my team and the legion of Caribbean writers behind us, we bring to you the warmest of welcomes.
1: Hello, I'm André Bagu. I'm a writer, poet and essayist from Trinidad and Tobago. I'm going to be reading from my fiction debut, The Dreaming, which is published by People Tree Press. The Dreaming follows a group of gay men as they search for sex, adventure, pleasure, self realization, and love in Woodbrook, Trinidad. I wrote this book as a postmodernist sequel of sorts, and indeed a response to V.S. Naipaul's Miguel Street, which is also set in Woodbrook. I wanted to say something about the passage of time, about current realities. And I wanted also, through the highly flexible form of the fiction collection, to document and inspire, to set fire to the imagination, while also honouring the hopes and dreams of so many existing today within the Caribbean space. I'm going to be reading from a specific story entitled Preludes. Preludes is a story structured as a triptych, with three separate but related movements revolving around a central character. That character is named Finn Singh, and Finn Singh comes to dominate the last act of the collection. I should also say that this story is in dialogue with a specific story written by Lawrence Scott called A Dog is Buried. At this point in the book, Finn has just come back to Trinidad after spending time away in London. I came straight from the airport. When we turned off the road, the taxi drove through a thicket of almond trees. It was nighttime, and the taxi's lights cast shadows that made the trees multiply. Soon, I could see the house at the edge of the cliff. And already, what had been a memory came roaring back at me. The sea. Booming, murmuring, overwhelming. Fresh sea breeze blew into the car. I had come back to live on the island. My family was expecting me at Londonville. This was before I moved to Woodbrook. But first, I would stay here for a few days. A welcome home gift to myself. Trevor, for that was the name on the card he gave me, parked the taxi at the front of the beach house. I asked him to wait while I opened up. I had keys. We had picked them up from the housekeeper along the way. I had stayed at this house before. I had told the housekeeper, There was no need for him to come with me at this hour of the night. He said the house was aired and there were a few basics in the fridge. I noticed the outside light, which worked with a timer, was not on. As I fumbled in the carport for the switch, I noticed the foul scent. I flipped the switch, but the bulb did not light. I stumbled over something heavy. I ran back into the open yard where there was moonlight. Trevor brought a torch. I suddenly saw how attractive he was. We followed the beam of light back to the carport. The dead dog revealed itself. Its throat was slit. Blood had caked into molasses and oozed out of the wound. Little rice grains, maggots, Crawled from its mouth. Its blood dyed a burlap bag revealing its tightly woven threads. There was a trail of blood. Someone had dragged the dead dog hair from the front yard over the pale gravel. I followed this trail, but it vanished in the direction of the neighbor's house, where I knew a few kids lived. Trevor started the car and I thought he was leaving, but he was really turning the car around to direct its beams onto the garage. It seemed like an ominous sign. It didn't match with anything I was feeling inside. I had been longing to return for so long. On mornings in London, I would wake up in my dreary, cramped lodging at Crouch End. And imagine the sweet aroma of a tropical, sun ripened mango, not the garbage they had in Sainsbury's. I would hear the wind rustling through the trees in our yard in Londonville. I missed our mango tree, our coconut tree, our sour cherry tree, the pompsite, the neighbour's cashew tree, the ten pound zabakas that would hang and sway like mute green church bells. For many months, I would ring Enrico, who would always pick up the phone during his shifts at Wendy's, and cry into the receiver. It didn't help that things hadn't worked out with Robert, nor did they work out with Roger, nor Hanson, nor Charlie. Even online hookups were tough, a sea of rejection. No Asians, no blacks, no femmes, no fats, no offense but not into Arabs? At bars, I was chronically shy, and people would ignore me when I mustered the courage to make conversation. Those people I did manage to bed consumed me, only because they felt I was rare and exotic in some way. They could see no further than that. I had believed that leaving Trinidad would set me free. Instead, I became invisible. When Enrico sent the job vacancy he saw for a firm near him in Woodbrook, it was a simple decision. I wanted Trinidad. I had to come back. But now, looking at this dead dog, I wondered. I wanted Trinidad, but did Trinidad want me? I suddenly felt incredibly tired and jet-lagged. Trevor said he'd come with me inside the house with the torchlight. There was no power. If someone had been here recently, I could not tell. Nothing was disturbed. No air had entered for months. There was a musty, dank smell. There were thick, chunky candles and matches in a kitchen drawer that I lit, revealing dust and cobwebs and I wondered if Miss Havisham lived here. A pile of old magazines was strewn on the coffee table. Twigs and clove-like droppings indicated baths. I opened a window. I opened the doors to the veranda overlooking the cliff. Sea breeze rushed in, beastly and magnificent. Trevor stood next to me, looking out at the vastness. The full moon lit a white, sparkling path, leading to some place beyond the night. I'll help you, he said. We each took a corner of the bag and dragged it. The dog felt unyielding, as though a powerful magnet was pulling it deep into the earth. Had it been someone's pet? It looked like one of those feral country dogs that roamed the streets. We took it far away to a part of the cliff where the soil was soft, but not too soft, under some coconut trees. The breeze here was powerful, but the stench remained. We had a fork and spade from the garage and took turns digging. We turned to the sea now and then and took in big gulps of air. In the moonlight, Trevor took off his shirt, and suddenly, through this close proximity, the shock of our shared labour, I got a real sense of him. How he moved, how tall he was, how broad his shoulders were, the shapeliness of his limbs. We put the dog in the pit, and started to cover it with soil. I took my shirt off too. Our bodies glistened with sweat. I could hear the engine of the surf hissing, as though it was powered by hot steam. Eventually, the task was done. Strangely, in burying something, I felt something else had been unearthed have rum in my carry-on, I said. Good, I need a drink real bad, he replied. I remembered there was an outdoor shower at the back of the house. I found some blue soap. I let him go first. In the murk, I could see him take off all his clothes, as though he had done so in front of me several times before. The pipe sputtered and then exploded. When he turned on the tap. As the water hit him, he moaned. Then he beckoned me to come. The pressure real good, he said. The water was cool, cold almost, and the pressure of the jet from the nozzle was sharp and bruising, firing thousands of hard pearls at my flesh. I gasped he laughed. And then he soaked me, casually, easily, as though we had done this some time before and we used to it. His casualness emboldened me. I held him. He kissed me. And it was as though I was swallowing the night sky with its diamond stars, the black ocean with its orange welts of oil rigs in the distance, the spidery coconut trees dancing their shadow ballet against the moon, the sea foam and the sea spray, the memory of the dead dog, of death, my desire to come home. It was as though it was all filling me. I drank in his salty taste. I held his dick in my hand and felt... I was holding some heavy fruit, some memory, some dream. We never opened the rum. The housekeeper knocked on the door. I jumped up in bed, startled. I was alone in the small bedroom. I was naked among a creased sea of crumpled sheets. I found my trousers and, inspecting myself in the mottled mirror, tried to look unsexed. Sorry about the power, the housekeeper said when I got outside. I fixed the problem. I saw Trevor's taxi was not in the yard. A wave of sadness crashed on the rocks inside me. I dug into my trouser pockets. I found the card he had given me. With my hand still in my pocket, I held onto the card as though holding a memory. I continued the conversation with the housekeeper, telling him about the dog. It was that miserable child next door, he said without hesitation. He's been killing dogs all week. I'll speak with the mother again. Kids these days, yes, yes they watching all that Harry Potter's sorcery stupidness. When the housekeeper left, I was finally alone. The world around me settled into something unreal. Memories of the night before came back. How we had kissed. How I had trailed my tongue from his lips to his ears to his neck and then down to his left nipple, down along his chest. How I had knelt before him, and swallowed the entirety of his wet cock. How we had somehow made it to the bedroom, dusting off the bed. How I had lay on my back, as he parted my legs, then lifted them up towards my head. How I could hear waves crashing, as he pounded me until I came how we lay arm in arm before falling asleep. For a moment, these memories mixed with my elation at being home. But then disappointment overcame me, because what had happened, the whole ordeal of the dog, the way the entire encounter had seemingly brought us together, had ended so easily with the sunrise. Trevor had told me he lived in Carinage with his sister and his mom. But would I ever see him again? There was a number on the card. I told myself I would ring him later. My phone had died in the night. The house appeared oddly clean, cleaner than it had been last night, as though someone had removed a heavy filter from an image and allowed us to see what was there all along. The place was organ-warm, pulsing. Pure sunlight, sunlight as clear as white wine, burst through the windows, through the veranda doors, through the little holes left for wind to enter. A breeze was blowing. Birds sang. I had no idea what time it was. I went into the yard. I saw it. The taxi hadn't gone, as I had thought. He'd gotten up early, parked it discreetly at the side of the house. I walked down the worn, rocky steps, pieces of which had been interchanged over the years like some kind of Frankenstein construction. They led to the small bay beneath the house, all in front of me, the aquamarine waves beckoned, the alternating Allegro and Adagio speaking of some happiness to come. And there he was, on the sand, walking towards me.
0: We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Please take a moment to follow Pod and turn on your notifications So that you don't miss new stories when they drop. One last thing Caribbean stories and Caribbean writers need our help. Show your support by sharing and downloading this podcast as far and as widely as you can. Buy their books, support independent bookshops, and request Caribbean titles from your local libraries. Remember that a rising tide lifts all ships. Give thanks. For more Caribbean storytelling goodness, follow Coco Pod and BCLF Always Lit on all major podcast platforms.